So this podcast was actually incredible. Yeah, I learned so much during this conversation. I loved it. Yeah, so we had Brian on. He's the owner of Parliament Chocolates here in Redlands um, and Alamanute um, Ice Cream Shop as well. They infuse their ice cream with liquid nitrogen. Um, so it's really cool. It makes it a little bit more creamy. Um, all of their, I think he said over 80, almost 90% of all the products they use for everything um, are local and organic. He travels to South America to get their cocoa beans. He travels to Thailand for the restaurant. Just really, really cool. The thought and effort and energy and intentionality they put into their chocolate and their ice cream and their food is super unique, something you don't see um, all the time. And it is so delicious. So good. We used to own a couple of Cold Stone Creameries and just no comparison with the... So we're already a little bit ice cream snobby. A little bit. Like I cannot eat grocery store ice cream. Mm -mm. It's pretty disgusting, actually, Um, once you've had it. But just the ice cream chocolate is just incredible. Um, So if you're in Redlands, obviously, if you are, you probably know about it. If you're in the Inland Empire area... Definitely want to make a trip out to Redlands. I mean, Redlands itself is just a cool destination. If you haven't been here in a long time or if you haven't been here before, incredible restaurants, incredible vibe, really unique for the Inland Empire. But when you come out, Parliament Chocolate and Alamanoon Ice Cream, definitely where you want to go. So hope you enjoyed this podcast. We had a great time getting to know Ryan and hearing his story all about how it started from his culinary experience and being a chef. and The process and... It's fascinating. Even gets into the kind of technical side of the science behind creating these different products. And again, another podcast where you see the scientific part of something and the creative part come together in a way that creates something really beautiful and really magical. And that's exactly what he's done. So hope you enjoy it. This is the Create Podcast. You have a nice pretty mic. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Special for our guests. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks so much for coming yeah, in. Yeah, for sure. I appreciate Thank you for it. for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, we've uh, newer to Redlands, obviously, growing up in Riverside. And mm-hmm. when we came out, we did one of our very first photo shoots for the magazine here, uh, Kristen Pierce, and just kind of fell in love with Redlands. So nice. Still loyal to Riverside, still live there. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel like we kind of. A home away from home. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. The Inland Empire has. It's cool because each city kind of has their own flavor. For so sure. it's nice to be able to be back and forth so Mm -hmm. quickly and easily between the different cities and their different kind of flavors like especially for you because you are coming to redlands every day and then home to riverside yeah Yeah. at least you're not hitting traffic right now i know it's true (laughs) it's been it's actually been amazing the last few months (laughs) yeah it really but now it's like every day the traffic's getting a little heavier heavier heavier. as it kind of comes more to life but honestly like i would say Parliament, and then mm-hmm. um, your ice cream shop probably one of the very first places we noticed. Like, oh, really? Because, re- like she said, Red yeah. Redland just has this really cool vibe, and yeah, it's very it, it unique really and does. different. And uh, the yeah, branding, Parliament and the look. branding is like yeah. amazing. Yeah. I mean, the ice cream branding is great too, but the uh-huh. Parliament has such like a prominent location. Yeah. Um, well, that's I all. It. I don't know if you know James McClung, but um, he's a local artist in town, and uh, he literally hand draws all of our artwork Does for, really? for all of our pieces. So talented. And like, um, each sort of origin or chocolate origin has a different owl on it. And, oh, that's cool. Uh, and that owl literally, like, sort of represents the culture in which we purchase those cocoa beans from. Yeah. So, like, the textiles on the on the clothing to, uh, yeah, everything around it. Wow. So. 
Yeah. Fonts are so difficult to get right, yes. and you guys mm-hmm. completely nailed it. Yeah, with that. he I drew that, that too. So. He Did he really? That too. Yeah. Wow. Yep. So, so talented. He's in, he's yeah. an amazing, amazing artist. So yeah, we've worked with him since the beginning of All the Minute Parliament. So um, yeah, we opened uh, All the Minute back in 2012, and then Parliament in 2013, and he's done all of our sort of branding and yeah. So cool. he just he really connects with us and sort of the vision of what we're we're wanting to represent. So. That's such like I think until you have like started a creative small business, mm-hmm. you don't understand like how rare and precious and difficult it is to find yeah. someone yeah. Um, that it you really can is. like cool. have that creative like synergy with. Uh huh. Completely. Because there's so many times where we have like. Because logos are, like, just a click outside of, like, our combined skill set. Like, we can Mm -hmm. almost do it, but, like, not quite. Um, So going and how we've had a couple, like, disastrous (laughs) logos. Not hiccups, but disastrous. (laughs) Well, well, it's it's always so, like, being creative people and very... I'm always interested in other, which is why we do this podcast and yeah, sure. other people's creative process. Like we've had, like in the past, we've had like favorite restaurants where mm-hmm. the food is amazing. The people are amazing. We love the owner. Like they go in they're like, Hey Mark, they know your name, Yeah, but it's their branding Cheers. is just terrible. Oh, you know, yeah. and you, the feel it's like, gosh, if they could, and just then sometimes, it a little yeah. Bit. And sometimes it's like terrible. And sometimes it's like, Oh, you just barely, You're so close. you just yes. barely missed it. So there's this breakfast place in North Carolina that we like loved so much. But it was, like, painful to go in there because they were, like, you know, they were trying to do the whole farm-to-table mm-hmm. vibe. And they were, like, almost there, but not quite. But it was those few clicks that, like, it was painful. Yeah. Like, every time we were in there, we were, like, <laughs> I was, like, so close. But I mean, so far away. I was, sound so snobby. But well, no, I mean, you're right, though. I mean, the branding is, is a representation of the product that you're trying to mm-hmm. give to your consumer. And yeah. I think it's so important for that branding to be just as artistically profound as the product that you're trying to give. Right. Um, I mean, you see with your eyes first, so yeah. you're going to see before you consume. And, uh, and Absolutely. that was, that was, we wanted somebody with that mentality to represent that. And that's definitely James, James McClung for sure. Well, um, you guys have done an so, exceptional job. Thank you. That's Except it. there's no branding on any of those points. So. It's all good. <laughs> We're still working on that. <laughs> <laughs> we, we just started this whole new pint thing with the COVID-19 Team. Oh, okay. So, uh, so we're we're sort of adopting a whole new business business structure for sure. Yeah. So before so. COVID nineteen, had you you hadn't done like to go? Um, not to the capacity we're doing now. Um, for sure. I mean, we would pretty much make a pint to order. Uh, so we make ice cream with liquid nitrogen, and uh, and we were making pints to order. But now we're making them. We're letting them set overnight for twenty four hours, just yeah. so that um, there's no expansion of ice crystals, and that's sort of why we. We make ice cream with liquid nitrogen uh, because it's so much creamier and the structure of it's so much different than your conventional uh, store-bought stuff. Yeah. And so um, and so we wanted to still make sure that we're representing ourselves um, through all of this and still be ethical and still make sure our employees had a job. Um, and, so, um, and so we moved to sort of this pint system where you can come up to the front door, but you can't come into our establishment just because it's so small and confined. Right. We just didn't feel comfortable with uh, a lot of people really congesting into into the space. I mean, due to our employees being in there, yeah, and even our, our, our customers, and so 
Um, well, and are you making the ice cream in the lo- location? Where we are, yeah. yeah. So we're still making that. Well, so we're making the ice cream, but um, I'm doing all of the prep for it. So I prep all of the product out. We have a production kitchen that we share with Augie's Coffee. Oh, cool. Um, so we have, it's, it's a big, I mean, almost 3,000 square foot, huge kitchen. Um, and so we bring all of our like oranges and our strawberries mm-hmm. and everything there. And we make it and process it into pretty right. much like product so right. that we can bring it to the ice cream shop, mix it in with our ice cream base and then uh, freeze it. So, wow. yeah. so it's a, it's a sort of a, a, a tipsy turvy process. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, we used to have four locations and that's why we got such a big facility and we realized, I mean, the bigger you get, the more you lose connection with the product that you're trying to create. Right. Yeah. So we definitely downsized and now we're just back to, to Redlands and oh, it feels so good. It feels like it's like a huge weight off of myself and my wife both own um, all in parliament and it's a big weight off of our backs. Yeah. So there's always that like in. sweet spot oh, in a business. Sure. And I think that sometimes we have a Literally. tendency to, yeah, really <laughs> true. <laughs> I think sometimes we have a tendency to like try to push past it and mm-hmm. it's just uncomfortable, you know, like whenever you're like bigger than that sweet spot, it's yeah. just it's kind of miserable. Oh, it, it, it was miserable. Yeah. I mean, it was like, I mean, it was great giving an opportunity for people to have jobs. And, right. but it's just, I mean, we opened all in in the first place because we wanted to have some type of ethics behind the product that we were serving and know the people behind our product, um, the farmers and yeah. work direct. And, um, and we were starting to lose that and we needed to bring ourselves back to that mentality again. Mm-hmm. And so it's so important um, for us to, to, to do that. And, uh, and now we're just back to, to who we were. And it feels, it, it feels amazing. Yeah. So. so how did all that get started? Um, all of my new, so, uh, yeah, I got my first job here in Redlands when I was 14. Um, I had to do an internship through our school. I went to a, a local school called Grove High School. It's like a Montessori-based type of high school. Oh, cool. Um, <clears throat> it's more like hands-on learning. So... Uh, we actually had our own farm that we would actually harvest produce from wow. and then That's resell cool. that to the public, uh, which they still do today. Hmm. And um, so then we were required to uh, do some type of internship for 40 hours. And one of our friends owned a Thai restaurant in town. Uh, and so I got to become a dishwasher for 40 hours and <laughs> got sucked into the whole entire food culinary industry. And uh Worked there and with that family for almost eight years. Um, wow. Fell in love with with Thai cuisine, Thai culture. Uh, would travel to Thailand with them all all the time. Oh, that's amazing. So really got connected to a different sort of mindset than what I would see um, every day in our American society. Uh, and so, um, and so that sort of pushed me towards. Okay, I knew how to cook Southeast Asian cuisine, um, but I didn't know anything about European cuisine, and I wanted to keep excelling in and opening up my mind. And so I decided to go to culinary school and I would, I went to uh, Le Cordon Bleu in Hollywood and would travel out there from Redlands every single day, take wow. the train, which was pretty fun. Yeah. Uh, it's like got an, pretty an tiring. experience in and of itself. <laughs> yeah, sure. exactly. Um, yeah, it was, it was, it was a lot of fun. Um, so did that for a year and then realized uh, culinary school after culinary school, everybody thinks you're going to be the chef, the celebrity. I mean, it's, it's, definitely not true whatsoever <laughs> so you get back out there you start looking for jobs and luckily uh, I work, was working with one of the cooks at the Thai restaurant that I was working at Rama Garden 
and uh, he became one of the chefs at uh, Casino Morongo. And he asked me if I wanted a job and come in for an interview. And so, um, and when you interview for a culinary position, it's not like you go in for an interview, sit down and have a conversation. You yeah. do what's called a cook test. And so you are thrown into a kitchen for an hour and you're told to cook four or five dishes. And so, uh, and so that's what I did. Uh, really Actual nervous. Actual baptism by fire. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> I um, would freak out. Oh, I was, I, I did. I yeah. like the I literally was so nervous I vomited before the interview, so um, I was very, very nervous. But uh, I got it, and I was thrown onto uh, the buffet line, cutting prime rib, and, uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's just like, and started at the lowest cook, cook position there, and uh, really worked very, very hard, worked tons of hours. I mean, the culinary industry makes, sucks you in, and it's just like, and I was recently married at the time, too, so Cass and I, uh, my wife's name is Cassie, uh, lived here in Redlands, just right up the street from, from your office or from the studio. And, um, and it was really like just sort of soul draining in a way, I mean, just because connecting with a different culture other than my own in the Thai culture and, uh, and growing up in Redlands and seeing the farmers and going to their farm stands as a little kid, it's just like, you see this sort of corporate world that, um, that, I wasn't taught to, and, and I mean, working in the soil in, in school and, and working with produce and you, you gain this respect for product and ingredients and the people behind who harvest those products and ingredients. And, uh, when you get into that corporate world, it's all about money. It's all about the bottom line and it's all about the cheapest product you can get with no ethics whatsoever. And that's not who I wanted to be. That's not who I wanted to represent. I mean, um, I wanted to do something better for our community, better for, um, the people behind those products and those items. And so, uh, I always, I, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I thought I was going to do a sandwich shop or something. And, um, and one day, uh, at the, the casino, we got a, oh, well, sort of to go back to the history of me working at the casino. Um, I went from a very low cook position to a chef position and ran about, um, uh, three different restaurants had about 40 cooks working under me. And so oh, that's sort of cool. where I learned that, uh, that, that corporate structure, yeah. um, which is good to understand. It's right. very, very important. Uh, I, I definitely feel, I mean, without that, I wouldn't be where I'm at today. Right. Um, and then my wife was an accountant, um, at the time at uh, one of the local, it's called Arrowhead Orthopedics. It's one of the orthopedic places and she was a controller over there. So I mean, her knowledge in finances incredible so yeah. something that i would never ever want to do yeah. but she loves it she loves numbers and that's so great. that's a perfect pairing oh it was perfect there's many yes. times where we're like too similar yes um that yeah we could use for one of us to be <laughs> a numbers person no numbers people on this I side of the table you to my wife yeah. she yes. can help you out with numbers so she does it for all kinds of businesses yeah. downtown. so yeah she's she's incredible um and so we wanted to bring something back to town, um, utilizing that, that mentality and that ideology of respecting the product and the ingredients that, uh, that we work with. And one day, we, I, I was always interested in a, a culinary practice called molecular gastronomy, so science and food. Um, my dad's a scientist at Loma Linda University. And so, I mean, just be able, being able to hear him and growing up and just like all of these very unique terms that I didn't understand and slowly retain over time hmm. uh, was was pretty amazing and understanding the science of food was sort of my motif it was just like my thing and um, 
I always wanted to make ice cream with liquid nitrogen or dry ice. I just had never done it. And then one day at the casino, we got a big shipment of frozen fish in with uh, big packets of dry ice. Yeah. Um, they were in bags. They weren't, like, actually touching the fish themselves. <laughs> right. And I'm like, oh, made for a very yeah. fishy ice cream. Oh, completely. <laughs> and that, that right then and there, I'm like, um, oh, man, this is my opportunity to try to make some ice cream with the dry ice. And so I pulled the dry ice packets out, pulled it out, uh, smashed up the dry ice with a hammer, um, turned it into like a powder and then made some chocolate ice cream base and I froze it in our bakery and I took a bite of it and I'm like oh my god the texture is incredible that's like that's amazing. it was amazing and uh, right then and there I'm like well this is where I could sort of apply myself to you using this system using ingredients from Redlands um, working with ethical an ethical dairy that I felt um, was important and uh, and opening something up in in, in my hometown yeah. So, so cool. It's like bringing it all yeah, together. Com- completely. I mean, yeah. And um, and so we opened up um, All Minute about four months later, uh, four to five months later after that, in our little spot that we're, we're at today uh, in 2012. And uh, we didn't have a chocolate flavor at the time, and we didn't have chocolate chips for anything. And people would beg me to put a, put some, some type of chocolate flavor. Right. And, um, my big thing is, I mean, the chocolate industry is one of the most unethical industries. I mean, you, utilizing slave labor and, and uh, not paying fair wages to their farmers. I mean, it's just such a corrupt uh, part of the culinary industry and food mm. industry supply chain completely. And that's why I didn't want to do anything with, with any chocolate products, just because I didn't know how to hold myself accountable for what I believed in. Right. Um, and then I decided, um, well, I mean, if I'm driving two three blocks up to go find my oranges and strawberries from local farmers that I can connect with. Why can't I jump on an airplane 3,000 miles away and start working with cocoa farmers? Um, and that's literally what I did. I, the next week, as soon as it clicked in my mind, I found somebody that was sourcing um, ethical cocoa beans from Belize and Guatemala, and I jumped down to Guatemala and Belize and met with cocoa farmers and wow. uh, started sourcing our beans. And now... Then we opened Parliament Chocolate um, in 2013, so a year after all Minute, and started making our own ethical chocolate that pays fair wages and knows knows its sources, so that it's not utilizing slave labor. So, and then we work in now uh, many many countries that are that are um, sourcing cocoa beans all over the place: Thailand, Tanzania, Guatemala. All over wow, the place. that's amazing! That's amazing. So, well, it's incredible that Parliament Chocolate was born out of basically a need you had in your other mm-hmm. business and ch- trying to figure out how to meet that need, but still do it within your framework. And so that's, that's really cool. Yeah. So. That was, I mean, it, it, it's crazy how you can see business evolve and yeah. like, and, and for us, um, we wanted it to evolve ethically and, and so far it's, it's done that and we're, we're still trying. I mean, it's not easy. I mean, practicing. So what we do is called direct trade where we cut out that middleman. Um, where that middleman usually is a person that sucks up all that money. Um, it's the corporations that, I mean, yeah. and so it's, it's really not, I mean, it's not easy, but it, we feel that it's necessary. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, we have to hold ourselves accountable for the products that we consume. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so important for, for us to, to start doing that and realizing that um, there are people behind these items and these products that aren't getting treated the way they should. And um, and there needs to be some type of change. And so our stance is let's change it through the product you consume. 
So that's amazing. Yeah, yeah, it's incredible. So what's the story behind the names of the, the oh two Parliament? Businesses? Yeah. Um, so for Parliament, um, for Parliament Chocolate, uh, it used to be a little cafe in the I believe 1940s and 1950s called White Owl Cafe, and um, I love that sort of owl theme, the owl sort of idea yeah. every country that we worked with with cocoa beans had owls in it and so um so we wanted to jump on that and um and so we decided um let's take a, a unique route in parliament we were looking up different types of names for owls and uh, parliament actually means a big nesting of owls oh, so the so true cool. terminology of parliament means a nesting of owls I love that. and so um so we chose the name parliament sort of to feed off of our our old like the the white owl cafe type of yeah. type of system and um and so that's when we decided decided so all of these owls will represent that origin and that region and uh sort of feed off of that and so that's where parliament came from um, and then for all the minute um all the minutes a culinary term which when you're cooking on the line and your chef says i need a sauce all the minute you make it there right there from scratch and make it like immediately for whatever you're serving. So I need mm-hmm. like uh, uh, some type of sauce, uh, aioli, ola minute, you make it right then and there. And so that's fundamentally what we're doing with our ice cream. We're making our ice cream ola minute to order. So right then and there. That's so that very was cool. where the term ola minute came from. Yeah. That you win for like best so. uh, <laughs> thought process behind business <laughs> Well, anyone we've interviewed so good job well, thank that's you. awesome i appreciate it and all the chocolates made on site all the there? chocolates made yeah, yeah yeah um yeah from from the cocoa bean so um and we go to extreme depths of making sure that so cocoa beans i mean i don't know if you want me to get into the go for it yeah. Yeah, system of how how chocolate's made but um so chocolate or cocoa cacao um grows in very tropical parts of rainforest um much lower uh, elevation than than uh, coffee so mm-hmm. it's like in the depths of the amazon where its original um, genetics have come from um and so when we're going down and sourcing cocoa beans um, we're going and analyzing the genetics we're actually working with um, and looking for new varieties so we actually have worked mm-hmm. with the usda i've been to baltimore Wow. Um, uh, and worked with uh, the USDA Ag pro- program over there and brought back leaf sample genetics to uh, to actually analyze. Um, and so we're analyzing and checking for possible genetics that can create quality cocoa and chocolate and with, uh, with also making sure that uh, um, it's still sustainable. So, um, but um, yeah, so the plant looks uh actually i've got the tattoo of it right there so (laughs) but um the actual fruit grows on the trunk itself doesn't actually grow on the branches uh which is really unique and so uh the the fruit itself grows in a cocoa pod and in each pod there's about 50 to 60 cocoa beans Hmm. those beans are surrounded by this pulp it's like this sweet fruit pulp almost tastes like um like mango slash papaya Hmm. in a way um, and it's extremely good to consume. Um, but um, what happens is to make chocolate, you have to break that pot open. You take all those beans, so the 50 to 60 beans in each pod, um, and you take those beans and you put them in large boxes. Uh, and by putting them in large boxes, we're fermenting them. 
So we're actually going through the fermentation huh. process, aerobic, anaerobic fermentation process of these cocoa beans. Um, literally, ethanol is produced. Um, lots of farmers catch the ethanol, and you can drink it. It's almost like 16 to 17% alcohol. <laughs> so it's like really, really good um, that drips off, off of the boxes. And so by fermenting the cocoa beans, it breaks down the astringency of the bean and makes it so that it's like consumable and edible. Um, because if you're just to make chocolate and wash the beans, then it's going to be bitter and f very, very flavorless and not good and tasting. And so during the fermentation process, it goes through the, the first process of the, um, the ethanol process, which sort of turns to alcohol. And then from there, there's a bacteria that comes in, eats that alcohol, and turns that alcohol to vinegar. Huh. So if you've ever had like a sour beer, so yeah. that's that process, or like... Um, um, malt vinegar, I mean, that process of the next step, balsamic vinegar, that ne yeah. proce next process. So by those acids coming in, it sort of breaks down the bean so that it's better and less, like I said, astringent and bitter. Um, and so as soon as there's that point where you found that happy medium in that fermentation process and how the bacteria reacts in that region and origin, um, then you uh, take the beans and put them on really big drying beds and you dry them as fast as possible. Yeah. Which can be very, very, very difficult in these very humid, wet, wet conditions. Yeah. So oh. it's a huge challenge. So they're, um, most of the beans are raked um, every, uh, every three to four hours, um, which are span over usually acres and acres and acres of land. Wow. Um, and, uh, and so they're raked and as they're sun drying or if there's rain, they have to put stuff over them or some of them are in sort of like greenhouses to dry faster. But as soon as they're dried, it can take anywhere from in some regions I've seen one and a half weeks to, I mean, two to three months. Wow. So, um, as soon as they're dried, then they're put in big burlap sacks, just like coffee beans. Yeah. Um, and then they're stored and then they're distributed up to, uh, up to the States or I mean, wherever they're yeah, going to go, they're Europe, going. um, South America. Yeah. So, wow. So that's so that how you get stuff. it. You get a big burlap bag. I get a big burlap bag that usually weighs about 120 pounds. Wow. Um, and then we take those beans, and then for our facility, once we get those beans, we'll hand sort them. We'll actually, like, make sure and analyze every single bean that comes through. Um, so we have a big conveyor belt system that we built, uh, and then we have a big dosing uh, system that doses the beans slowly, and then we'll uh, make sure that there's no like cracked beans, broken right. beans, um, just so that it, it, it roasts consistently. So once we sort all those beans, then we'll actually roast it. We roast it in a big convection oven. Um, it's not like roasting coffee. Coffee roasts at a very, very high temperature, usually four, four to uh, like four to 500 degrees, where cocoa beans are usually roasted at like 275. Hmm. 300 degrees, much lower temperature. Like a low and slow. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and then once they're roasted, then we'll take those beans, and on the outside of those cocoa beans, I should have brought some cocoa beans, but on the outside of those cocoa beans, there's a shell that we have to extract. And so um, it's just, like, very bitter, and it just doesn't have any flavor. Um, it's almost, like, tastes like cardboard. Hmm. So we have to extract that shell on the outside, so we have a big machine that cracks the bean apart, um, drops the the nib through a vacuumed process and then the vacuum will suck the shell because it's a lighter weight up into a big chamber wow so all these nibs will fall down and once we have all these nibs the cocoa nibs which i'm sure most of you and most of your listeners sort of have heard of are cocoa nibs right um you take all these cocoa nibs that have been uh mildly roasted um, not overly roasted the corporate industry burns the cocoa beans because uh the beans are just 
horrible tasting. Hmm. And so that's why um, what we're trying to do is sort of like what Third Wave Coffee is doing right now and creating um, flavors based off of the terroir and the ethics behind the cocoa bean or the the coffee bean process. Yeah. So minimally uh, roasting it. Yeah. Um, And so we'll take these cocoa nibs and we drop it into what's called a big melanger or refiner. Um, and we'll put the nibs in. It's a big uh, chamber that has big granite wheels that will crush the nibs and uh, crush the sugar. And that's when we'll add the sugar, or the milk solids to make milk chocolate. Yeah. Um, and then it crushes it and it, it stays running for almost uh, uh, three to four days. So wow. it doesn't stop running whatsoever. Um, and that's and probably how crushes. you get like that creamy. Exactly. Yeah. Texture. Because we try to break it down. We actually have what's called a micrometer. Uh, and it, it measures microns. So one micron is one one thousandth of a millimeter. Wow. So it actually measures like the particle size. So we'll actually measure the chocolate as it's breaking down to make sure that it gets to a specific particle size. And then once it gets to that specific particle size um, that your palate or a human being's palate can't actually physically feel. Right. Um, then we know that it's it's broken down enough. Um, also by like the friction of the the grinding, uh, the temperatures rise to almost 140 degrees just from the friction. There's no heat applied to it. And so by that heat and that friction and that grinding, um, it's actually burning off like volatile acids that are in the chocolate that will make it very like acidic. And so by burning off those acids, you're mellowing the flavors of the chocolate and sort of molding everything together. It's almost like making like tomato sauce. So like if you're making like uh, like a, a tomato sauce at a low simmer and you simmer it for a long time, you burn off some of those acids and sort of mend right. all those flavors together. And that's sort of what we're doing with chocolate. So, and then after we grind all the chocolate, we pour it into big chambers or big containers um, and then let them set on our shelves for about 24 to 48 hours. Um, and at that point, it's called untempered chocolate. So, um, so untempered chocolate means the crystals haven't formed together. There's fat crystals, there's sugar crystals, um, but we call them beta crystals in the industry, and we need to connect those crystals together, literally like puzzles get connected together. Um, and so by doing that, um, we have a big machine that we put it into, melt all the chocolate to make sure that all the chocolate crystals are completely, uh, if I'm getting way too in-depth, no, you're just good. let me know. Okay. It's, it's fascinating. <laughs> um, I sometimes like go off on rants, so uh, you can stop me at any time. But um, so we melt all those crystals, all the fat crystals, and then we have to put them back together. And so we control these specific temperatures literally to like 0.1 of a degree. So we bring it back down to a temperature right before it starts to solidify and it's still very viscous. And then um, we actually put our chocolate um, into chocolate bar molds. And so that's how you get the mold look and get the shiny and the nice snap to it by controlling these temperatures. Huh. So otherwise it will be brittle, it will fall apart, and it just doesn't have that texture and that taste. So that's Like sort if of you like, leave a chocolate bar in your car and it then it becomes melts untempered. and solidifies itself. Yep. Yeah. That's, that's, so if you ever see the white spots on a chocolate bar, yeah. um, that's just an untempered chocolate bar. Chocolate pretty much never goes bad. Like, uh, it just means that it has untempered, uh, and it just, it, it's not actually mold. It just means the chocolate's blooming. So the, the, the cocoa butter is, like, blooming out of, out of the chocolate. So it's like tempering glass or tempering steel. Yeah. Um, you create this structure behind it by applying temperatures to it and making it stronger and harder. Like, hold so, it all together. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Wow, that's incredible. That's so that's, like... Chocolate making in a nutshell. How did you learn all of that? <laughs> uh, self-taught. I don't know. Wow. Just over the years, That's just cool. like being so interested in the process and just researching, researching, researching. So 
Yeah. That's amazing. And still, I mean, there's still so much to learn. So, yeah. I mean, I'm not I'm at the very beginning. I could, yeah. What is so much more? I'm that same way with photography, and I kind of say that same thing. Like, there's like this much to know about photography, and I know like this much. (laughs) And I've been doing it for 20 years. Oh, I love I love photography. I used to shoot a lot when I was. I've got a Hasselblad. I've got. I mean, I have my own dark room. So I mean, printing all kinds of stuff, dodging and burning all of it. It's so much fun. It is so much fun. So yeah, it's the kind of the same thing where it's that like art and science kind of coming together. Yeah. You have to understand the technical part of it, but then there's just like a little bit of magic that has to be there too. Absolutely right. Doesn't yeah. happen. That comes through your own individual yeah. eye. So capturing that moment is like yeah. Amazing. You have to have that human, like, X factor for to sure it that doesn't yeah. exist. You know, because I think that food and photography are kind of similar in mm-hmm. that way, where there is so much technical aspect to it, and I guess that that's kind of like you were talking about the corporate piece of it that I think that when you remove that humanness from it that you just kind of miss it you know like you're missing what's the the soul of the product I guess I don't know I mean yeah you just like there's a there's a I feel like a soul in things um I mean and humans are the ones that are applying that so yeah that's amazing and I think that's when people really connect with the business you know when Mm -hmm. they can see that and sense it and feel it yeah. It's personal. It's it's a living, you oh, know, breathing sure. thing that is evolving and changing. And I think for a lot of people, that's what really makes them connect with I business or completely product agree. or whatever it is. Yeah. You know, versus yeah. the kind of corporate stale side oh, of you know where you just like. Uh, I mean, it's it's all, like I said, it's soul draining. It's just like I mean, it's just <laughs> like you just you. There's no reason behind the stuff that are happening in the corporate world. Mm-hmm. And so, and I mean, there's a need for change. So I think, I mean, for sure today in society, there's a need for change. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's so important um, to do the right thing and do the ethical thing, the thing that will impact the lives of everybody um, to a better, better degree. For sure. So, Just kind of, I think connecting that human quality, like back to, you know, which I think you do such a beautiful job of, of like, taking all the steps of humanness back to like where it's grown mm-hmm. to you know here it is yeah i mean it's on true the table. i mean one thing we do with uh, all of our chocolate bars from our origins and the farmers we work with i mean for instance in in tanzania um we work with about a thousand farmers um and uh honduras there's about 40 to 50 and in thailand same thing 40 to 50 um but we like to sort of like tell the story of the person behind the product. And so within each chocolate bar, there's a card. I can actually open one up. But in each chocolate bar, there's a card. And then um, the farmers get to tell their own stories. So they're called the producer stories. And so they talk about the economy and what they want to see from cacao as a farmer. Wow. Changing their lifestyle. And yeah. seeing, I mean, so we just want to tell the story of, of who is, sorry who is behind the actual product itself. I mean, that's amazing. It's just, it's important to us because I mean, it's such a a domino effect Mm -hmm. and and it affects, I mean, the supply chain affects every aspect of itself. And uh, if you respect every aspect of the supply chain, then the product coming out of that can only be amazing. Yeah. I love this. Well, especially like in today's climate where, you know, putting the bottom line over a person, Mm -hmm. you know, and just, 
it, in today's climate, it's just you don't see very much of this. You I, know, it just yeah. The whether it's the bottom line or the bigger picture of their business just takes precedence to a person. I so like this really is a person, you yeah, know, with yeah. a family and a life, and so it's like exactly. giving priority to that. It, I mean, what are their dreams? What are their? Yeah. I mean, stories. What 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 do they want in society? I mean, we're all humans on the same planet. Yeah. Um, and we should all be treated the same. Yeah. Would uh, you say you're? Because um, you talked about living in in England, right? Uh, and yes. You kept traveling in Thailand. Is, yeah. How much of that do you think is, you know, just getting that worldview and perspective outside I of... I think it was, I mean, so important yeah. um, to connect with somebody in a different system and in different, with different mindsets and, and, and taught to learn to respect that, even though those views might be different than mine, right? to respect that. Just because, I mean, if they're just trying to do the right thing, regardless of their religious ideology or... Um, their their political ideology. I mean, they're just if they're doing the ethical thing to make society move forward and do and be better. Then, then for me, that that was that taught me to to respect everything um, and to respect the whole entire system behind that mm-hmm. that idea idea. Well, and, and so, what's that quote? It's a lot harder to hate people up close. That mm-hmm. I think that you know, I think that as humans were for the most part trying to do the best that we can yeah and i think that the more that you can like face to face with people who are radically different from you yeah the easier it is to have your mind opened and be more accepting and respectful and understanding of all of that i think it's so much easier to i think it's that corporate society a little bit that makes it easier to hate whole groups of people because they're so far removed yeah. from you and so different from you. Yeah. Um, and when you're, like, searching for the similarities. Oh, I can, You know, that's, that's where that connection comes yeah. from. I mean, it's sort of like, I mean, behind this, it wasn't about the money. It was all about the reason. And like you were saying, it's just like it was about, like, and it's very difficult, of course, to be an ethical business and still be sustainable. I yeah. Mean, um, and profitable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I mean, the corporate system has, has made that very difficult. Um, but, and that's where, I mean, by cutting out the middleman and being able to apply that money to higher pay towards the farmers and the people that we work with. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, but again, that falls on our backs and we have to make sure that we're constantly doing the right thing as well with those funds. Yeah. And so, um, but I mean, you, like you said, it's just, Face-to-face is so important, and that's why direct trade and what we do and go directly to the, the people behind it, we get to hear their stories. We get to hear what what the, their dreams are and so um, and what their needs are and um, to see what type of a societies the, a lot of these farmers come from that are oppressed societies, very, very oppressed societies, yeah. um, and not having a voice, but for them to be able to just grow some cocoa and us bring it here and have us tell that story of their yeah. oppression um, is is so important. So, um, I mean, it's it's been rewarding, but still exhausting. not done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Exhausting in a good way, though. I mean, where you can take a sigh of relief and say, at least you're, you're breaking down barriers that have need to be broken down. Yeah. So, yeah. It's kind of like ra- we have six kids. It's probably kind of like raising kids where you're like, Today was 
exhausting and a little bit terrible. And I don't want to do it ever again. But it was a job well done. You know, like it yeah. was it was a good day put towards, you know, the whole of what I'm trying to accomplish. Yeah. But and and I don't know. I can't remember if we were talking about it, but you were talking about how your son wanted to go abroad. Yeah. And I think that's so much more important than even going to school in, in the first For place. Sure. I mean, just because learning another culture and how that culture reacts to a society um, is, I think, just so mind opening. Um, it changes you. Oh, completely. Changes who you are. Different perspective. It g- gives you a, an ability to appreciate um, appreciate just just the human needs mm-hmm. and so um i and i mean in a way I'm, I'm 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 proud that i didn't go to college because i wouldn't have i mean i wouldn't have been able to sort of extract that because right. i wouldn't have been able to travel to the places i was able to travel to and uh, we were talking about photography um i was a photojournalist and so oh, i cool. travel around also documenting through through imagery and uh and so it's just that ability to sort of visually connect um was so important yeah so and just see people as people like i think if we look at teenagers and young adults i think if more of them in our country and our culture could experience another culture Mm -hmm. in in making those relationships and seeing like oh we're all people Mm -hmm. like underneath the things that make us look different we're all the same yes i was before i went to school after high school before i went to college i spent two years doing humanitarian work so i was it was in Egypt and Bulgaria and oh, Germany and France. Wow. I got to see for two years. Basically, we would spend two or three months yeah. in a different country in a different culture. And at and, two uh, months at a time, about two or three months. Wow. Yeah. So we were That's in awesome. Egypt for three months. I was in Bulgaria for three months wow. and ton of trips to the Mexico. Living with people. Yeah, living with uh-huh. people and Ooh. yeah, and just down, you know, the deep and dirty of it all. But yeah, like that experience for me, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade that for the world. Mm-hmm. You know, just I, I think. I can see moments of every single day of my life since then where I've been affected and changed because of that, where just to, like we've, we were talking about, just seeing another person as a person and putting people first mm-hmm. and and uh, just getting rid of all those preconceived ideas that For we sure. have and make us different. And, and I think when you're able to take that and put that into a business in today's environment, it's just super powerful. I think people are looking for that. People are... yeah people are starving for something genuine or real and authentic that actually cares about people. And that's what's so yeah. amazing. I mean, I don't know. I, growing up in the 80s and 90s, you didn't feel like you connected to, I don't know, that was like the microwave boom, I guess. Right, so, it was such yeah. an yeah. anesthetized like, yeah. um, time yeah. in so many, that we were all trying to be so corporate mm-hmm. um, and professional and, you know, that I think a lot of that, like tactile just realness yeah. got lost yeah. a little bit well let's try some ice cream too this oh, melting for here sure. <laughs> okay, yeah. I want like, I can, I can to <laughs> just melting on here so tell us what we have um, so we have here lemon um, we use it depends on the season but we use two different varieties of lemons depending on the season Eureka lemons and uh, Meyer lemons I love I prefer a Meyer. good Meyer lemon oh I know unfortunately the season just ended so this one's Eureka so sad um, a little more acidic not as sweet um, it's very, very, uh, like, uh, fatty, um, mm-hmm. due to Oops, the acidity. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> Food fight already. Right? Yeah. Um, I'm wearing it. 
Yeah, and then um, oh our gosh, base for everything, we use uh, Strauss Dairy. Um, it's a dairy up in Northern California. Um, we tried looking everywhere oh, for amazing. a dairy yeah. that we believed in in Southern California, and we just couldn't find any. And so Strauss, I believe, is one of the most ethical dairies on the planet, personally. Yeah. Um, the reason for that, they have about 800 cows. Um, it's a little sort of co-op, <laughs> too. <laughs> um, and uh, they let the cows roam on hundreds of acres of land um, mm. all wow. over the place. They're not confined to small areas. Um, they also, uh, a big thing for, um, because of, uh, of, of cattle in, and uh, greenhouse gases, I mean, are, they're very, very connected with each other. I mean, the largest producer of greenhouse gases on the planet is due to cattle. Really? Um, yeah. Um, and so what they do is they have what's called a digester and right before the cows or, uh, yeah, right before the cows milk, um, they just have this thing where they fecal. Um, and so they catch all of that poop in a big lake and, it's, and that's like the main produ producer of greenhouse gases is their poop. Hmm. And so, huh. um, they catch it and they put a big balloon over the top of it. And so as the greenhouse gases dissipate back into the atmosphere, instead it's caught in this big balloon, and this balloon fills up over this huge lake. They catch all this methane and then turn it into power and to power the whole entire wow. area. And when methane's burnt off, it just turns into water. Wow. And so... That, like, makes me so happy. Like It's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. Like, I love people who are taking <laughs> something that's, like, a huge problem... And not only kind of like fixing the problem, but like benefiting. Exactly, it's amazing. Yeah, I mean, and I mean, same thing with our sugar. I mean, uh, the sugar that we use is all from Brazil. And I mean, one thing, like I was saying earlier, is I, I love focusing on. If you guys want to try any of those, yeah, yeah. don't. I, that's in. the best lemon so, ice cream I've ever had. <laughs> thank you. Like I, Mark is a little you. bit of a wait till you try it with the Meyer lemon of lemon. Yeah. Lemons, <laughs> my hands down. Yeah, my favorite, oh, awesome. Yeah. yeah, so we're like super into Meyer lemons and yeah. I make lemon bars so with Meyer lemons and I oh. say it tastes like flowers almost yes. like it like tastes like what you would yep. like think a flat I mean I'm sure that's not what a flower tastes like but um it's just so like sweet and sour and, and the acidity just that that comes oh, through so just sort of pulls all those flavors together for sure yeah. citric acid just can go so far yeah so, so um, no but truly like lemons hands down is my yeah. favorite oh that's awesome um, it, that's for reals, like the best <laughs> lemon ice cream I've ever had. I appreciate it because it's a when I get and we <laughs> we make, try hard. Yeah. So it's amazing. So we used to own uh, Cold Stone Creamery franchise. Oh, okay, in South Carolina. Um, and so, like, I can't even eat grocery store ice cream. Mm -hmm. We no. really can't. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's um, sad. It just it's not the same. Yeah, it's like not so ice cream. Like, but this is by yeah. far amazing. superior to obviously to that. So, what's this one? Uh, this one's avocado. Um, and then uh, we use tons of d different varieties of avocado, just depending on the season. Yeah. Um, but um, the idea behind this, um, one of my friends that worked with me for a while, he's Filipino, and yeah. um, they utilize avocados Ooh. all the time in like sweet like applications. Right. Um, and so I'm like, well, let's throw it into some ice cream, and then that's where this sort of evolved. I mean, they're simple. That but oh, it's that just, is amazing. Yeah, they're just like it's the the process that that's behind it and just like that extra aspect of fattiness to it and it, mm -hmm. it just really applies itself really oh, well right. that is unbelievable so, so i've had i've only had avocado ice cream a few times and there was a place we had it it wasn't it was there was, it a, was yogurt. a like a yogurt yeah. there oh, was a yogurt okay. place where we went to that had which was 
was really good. Mm -hmm. And then every time I would see avocado ice cream after that, I'd always get it. I was always disappointed. Yeah. But that's just incredible. Awesome. Just such a perfect it liked, blend of yeah, the flavor oh. and the creaminess. And, yeah. And it tastes oh like avocado. It, like, that's, yeah. <laughs> it's just like a perfect. It's like a, it's like whipped guacamole in a it way. It is. Um, I mean, the, when we when we serve it at uh, at the ice cream shop, when people come in and order it, we actually put little like uh, waffle cone chips in it. Oh, that's amazing! So, and then we put a little bit of a red wine reduction on top of it. Um, yeah. But uh, obviously, we can't do that right now just because we have the pints. So yeah. Well, it's kind of like the trend of people like putting mango in their guacamole. Yes. That the sweet and that like very earthy oh yeah taste of the avocado like it just oh, those little hints of sweetness so like good. you're saying are incredible yeah so um and we try to make everything really creamy so we like run things through what are called chinois is when we, we're making it just so that there's no chunks or no like actual uh viscous aspects of the ice cream yeah. so yeah. just because we want i mean if we're making the ice cream with liquid nitrogen the whole point of it is to make it so that it's creamier yeah, super so smooth. we want to make sure that fruit that we're using also applies those those same yeah. sort of yeah, except for the stuff that has chocolate in it. It's so, so yes. creamy. Yeah. So good. Um, so, yeah, it's starting to melt pretty quick. <laughs> is there a freezer? Um, there is, yeah. Oh, okay, I'll go put these in the freezer. So for espresso, we work with Augie's, um, and they actually pull tons and tons oh of gosh. espresso shots for us. So it's literally espresso. Really? So they fill up. Um, they It takes them a full eight-hour shift, one employee, to pull as many espresso shots to oh my last one week for us. Um, for our ice cream. So, That's like amazing. Um, so we tried, literally when we were first opening, we went to Augie's and we said, we want to work with your product. Uh, we want to try to figure out how to make a good coffee ice cream. And so it took us almost four months to develop this recipe to where we realized the only real way to make it so that it's like the coffee's really coming out, um, the espresso is just really hitting you, uh, was uh, by literally just pulling tons of shots of espresso wow. rather than just like diluting coffee in the ice cream. Right. Um, I mean, sure, it's a quick way to do it, and you get a hint of coffee, but we wanted something just to sort of explode. Oh, so good. Well, um, and the coffee and the chocolate together, oh, the like, chocolate, forget yeah. it. I mean, the, the ground chocolate is just like, um, we don't like actually have chips in it. It's like we actually grind chocolate, and then we put it, put it into it. Yeah. So, um, and then... Yeah, we use a Dominican Republic origin for the for that one. That's more of like a neutral flavored type of chocolate um, bean rather than it's like because chocolate mm -hmm. can go all over the place, acidic, yep. fruity, and so this one's more chocolatey, neutral, and what you sort of think of when you taste chocolate. Yeah. So, and we oh. wanted that to be our main chocolate for all of our all of our ice cream and uh, yeah, and our chocolate syrup and that kind of stuff. So, all right, I'm gonna go put these in the sure. freezer so that we <laughs> oh, again, it sounds can like have them later. So good. I'm just saying. Do you it. need help? Or, or, you I think know, I can. Okay. Yeah. I have six kids. I but that, do you call that espresso or coffee ice cream? Espresso. Espresso, yeah. yeah. Espresso chip. Yeah. Yeah, so, that's. Augie's espresso. Like at Cold Stone, we would obviously make, we have a coffee flavoring. Yeah. And that coffee ice cream was good. Yeah. Um, but that's the most, like, purest. Oh, it's just, I mean. Hits you. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's fresh in a way. The, the, even though it's not fresh. <laughs> the yeah, the difference between something flavored and the real thing, yeah. obviously. So did you guys make the actual ice cream, or did you get it in buckets? Like We the made it. We get the big bags of cream. Oh, really? Um, most of the flavorings were, like, we would have a strawberry flavoring. Okay. Um, like our cake batter ice cream we made was with a cake mix. But, okay. But most of the flavorings was just mixing the sweet cream with... 
whatever big giant vat of flavoring we had, whether it was mint flavoring or sure. French, yeah. French vanilla. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah. So we work with, um, for our mint, um, I should have brought some of the other flavors, but um, we can give you those. Uh, for our mint, we actually have worked with farmers and we they grow specific varieties of mint for us that are really, really, like, uh, really flavorful like so we use a chocolate mint and chocolate mint is a variety that is just extremely flavorful yeah and so um so we actually take that chocolate mint break it down in with simple syrup and make pretty much our own like types of syrups that, yeah. like you would use in cold stone right uh, but we go like and make it into our own syrups pretty much yeah which so is amazing yeah it's a lot I of mean, fun it's a lot of fun i mean so so, so few people in their business regard whatever the business is just don't go that extra mile you know, yeah. I feel like whatever the business is, it's it's those a lot of times just those little things like going the extra mile here, mm-hmm. like the branding or those little things make the biggest difference. Like we yeah. were talking about before, we see so many businesses where it's like, oh, if you would have just you're so close, you're so close. <laughs> you maybe put a little bit more time into that, a little effort or thought. So, yeah, um, it so takes cool more work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a lot of times, I mean, you see businesses that like practice those at first and realize like, OK, and then they lose the path along the way yeah. and we were doing that. it's hard I mean we were losing that path and that's why we brought ourselves back to okay we need to to bring ourselves back to who we were yeah so yeah and it's a it's a if you can learn that lesson without you know having too many negative consequences like we yeah. at one point in North Carolina we had four separate magazines that we were running oh wow and then we worked we owned those and then I worked also basically had a full-time job with the publishing company we partnered with being in leadership with them and doing oh training and work le- helping other publishers and, and we had six kids under the age of 14 had, <laughs> yeah and we're and so a big part of us moving back to california it was just a, probably a similar process that you guys went through it's like we just we grew so big and we have so many things that i had just i had the moment i realized i'm not doing anything really really well yeah. anymore. you know it's like or anything that you are really you just enjoying. lose connection. You lose it. the yeah. passion. You yeah. lose the connection, and, and it, now it, it's all about just running the day to day operation. Mm-hmm. And exactly, I, yeah, I, I, yep. So it's totally. been it's been amazing to come back here, get our magazine off the ground, and then you know, it's it's. Well, I'll have moments too where I'm like, okay, well, are we going to do another one? Or and it's like, no, like yeah, <laughs> this this do is it well. yeah, do these things and do it well. But yep. I'm super thankful for outlets like this with the podcast, and yeah, because for me. Well, thanks for coming to Redlands with this. This is awesome. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, we fell in love more with Redlands. Crea- I mean, anything more creative to this community is like what th- helps us thrive. Yeah, for sure. Well, and there's just there's so m- many creative businesses. It's like we were talking at one point. It's like we could almost do just a podcast of just just Redlands businesses and yeah. people. So just, but like Marissa was saying before, so our magazine covers the top 500 real estate agents in all the inland empire Mm -hmm. and so like we were shooting in upland last night for so we get to experience different aspects of inland empire and they're all just so unique riverside has its own feel and downtown upland completely i I hadn't been to upland for years used to play soccer there i haven't been to downtown upland ever like just a cool place too yeah it's amazing it's a cool downtown they have there's a it's like an 80s 80s store store and there's uh, which is actually has like store and... the best the most well curated collection of 80s like as you can tell yeah, mark is I a little bit of a collection yeah, yeah. so <laughs> we have been in a lot of places like that and it has like the best 
the most really? well curated collection cool of 80s yeah, stuff awesome. I've ever seen. Very cool down. There's a place called Rad Coffee, mm-hmm. which is down there where they do, they have like really unique coffee drinks, okay. like a cereal yeah. in them and just super bright colors, but it's, it's a bunch yeah. of cool businesses down there. Awesome. That's very cool. I need to go check it out. Yeah. Just yeah, it's definitely worth I don't get out of here the drive. <laughs> yeah. So how do you balance running, you know, obviously there's a lot of similarities with Parliament and yeah with the ice cream shop but um great and staff, a restaurant for yeah. sure and a restaurant yeah so i mean like i said we have partners at the the thai restaurant um i was focusing most of my time this last year at the the restaurant working on the line and uh and then the covid thing hit and i'm like oh man uh, we shut down all in parliament for about two weeks um and then realized well how do we do this so that we still feel like we're responsible um to our community um, and our employees uh, and so uh, then we started so the whole entire pint process, and now I've literally only focused on all of the parliament. So I haven't been able to get over there. But, um, again, that's where the people behind us and, and that work with us and our colleagues are all, all um, making, a, making a run as well. Yeah. Um, so we don't have a kitchen crew right now um, at all in the So I'm literally in the kitchen all the time. Uh, you can relate to that. Mm. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean... My wife and I are probably working um, 10 to 12 hours a day right now. Um, yeah. But, um, and we do deliveries, so uh, oh, pine cool. deliveries. So Did you just start that? We started recently? that with with everything that was there, going yeah. on. It's um, brilliant. So, uh, so after the kitchen, then I've got deliveries, and I'm delivering ice cream. And, um, and we're also um, harvesting a lot of our own product, too. So, like, uh, oranges. So there's a, um, somebody that found us on instagram that said you can come pick my orchard uh, oh, so i'm going so and picking nice. oranges a couple times a week that's cool um, we're harvesting our own stuff um so it's 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 uh, a big workload but uh you feel empowered by it so. don't you think that it's going to be like such a <clears throat> interesting after for all of us because we've kind of had similar um pivots in mm-hmm. our business where you know events used to be kind of one of the major pillars of what we did and that's obviously not happening now nor do I see it you know happening probably for the rest of the year and Mm -hmm. so we've kind of been like how can we take how can we get some of the benefits of what we were getting from that in a different way yeah Um, and so some of the things that we've implemented we would never have started doing Mm -hmm. had this not happened but they're amazing and it's been like such a great um paradigm shift that we're going to take moving forward no matter you know what happens um in this kind of next phase of life yeah that's been so beneficial for sure yeah i mean what happened what what obviously happened is horrible and but i think everybody's had an ability to stop and gain some perspective and to realize like things that they really do appreciate and things that in life that 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 matter and things that maybe they don't need or Correct. care about you know absolutely like, right yeah yeah interesting i love that you guys deliver that's cool yeah yeah it's been fun it's actually really um really enjoyable just because like you pull up to somebody's house and they come running out it's like <laughs> i mean you're giving them crack or something yeah. it's just like <laughs> ice cream's here you're, you're giving like, them melting crack it's cool too. Yeah. Like, yeah. they're like yep time is of the essence so yeah is it just you right now delivery um yeah me yeah. and my wife well, yeah. yeah that's amazing it's, if she can't come just because she's got to be in front of a computer calculating stuff then um, i'm definitely doing it so yeah. 
But yeah, that's I'm, so cool. Yeah, she's usually the driver, and I'm the one jumping out, <laughs> running up to the door with it. And so, I love um, it. yeah, nobody's um, upset to see you when you show up. With uh, nobody is upset to see us. No, people are upset that I mean, some we don't like to leave it at the. So if right. somebody's not home or something, we don't leave it there. And so people get really upset uh, if they uh, miss it. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And like, like, well, we'll bring it tomorrow. Or if you want to come pick it up, you can come pick it up. I mean, we don't charge any delivery fee. So we're just like, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. So yeah, it became a thing with us when we had the cold stone where if we went to someone's house or a party or just anywhere, it's like I would walk in and they'd be like, where's the ice cream? cream?" Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Because uh, we had ice cream cakes too. I brought so. the beers this time. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I was. I actually... know our kids are like still, I think, disappointed by whatever birthday cake we offer <laughs> them. Yeah. That's now not ice cream. Oh, I love ice cream cake. Ice that's cream like my cake. favorite. Oh, yeah. Do you guys do that? No, no, no. no. That's like it's a whole other yeah beast yeah. and set of equipment. I I, I believe yeah. it. I just like. I mean, I've tried it, and it's just. And I mean, making it with liquid nitrogen, it just melts so much faster. Yeah. Uh, and it just like it didn't make sense. So, yeah. But um, we do like cold, cold brew floats and brew beer oh, cool. floats and stuff too. Okay. We're not doing it right now. Yeah. Right. Um, just because of the pints. But um, yeah, we do stuff like that too. So, yeah, it's just, I don't know. We, we like to more be, well, nah, not more be, but we like to. Uh, be as simplistic as possible with our product and let our product sort of shine through. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, yeah. So it's, so well, it's kind of you... like you were saying with when we had four magazines and it's just too, you could only juggle so mm-hmm. much. And the more that you're adding, the less attention oh, you're able to give yeah. each individual thing. Yep. Do you guys have a, like your core flavors that you always have and then you rotate um, other ones and how do you so manage most that? of the stuff that we have are our core flavors we keep them on most of the time like we found uh farmers that we work with that either grow those items all year long or items that like i mean for the espresso that can be made, right preserved um all year long so um and then we do uh, specials a lot we haven't done it in a while just because i've been focusing on just making the ice cream right we're all um, just surviving yeah <laughs> so and we come up with some really like funky stuff like uh like uh we've done like black garlic um oh cool um, and fermented our own black garlic and 